Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Tuesday on the Three Martini Lunch, and we're very glad that you're here. Your stool is ready. We're brought to you today by two wonderful sponsors. First of all, Stamps.com. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Three Martini. We're also brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. Receive your free guide, Seven Actions Businesses Need to Take Now, and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash martini. Jim, we've got a bad and two crazies today. So hopefully we got some good martinis waiting for us later in the week. Good news if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, before we even get to our martinis today, you've locked up Pat Mahomes for 10 more years with all the incentives and so forth. I believe it's a little over half a billion dollars, which is the first sports contract to go over the half a billion dollar mark. And of course, he's already won a Super Bowl in his first three years in Kansas City. And Jim, it's moments like this that remind me that in the 2017 draft, the Bears had the third overall pick, gave away a lot to move up to number two. Pat Mahomes on the board. Didn't take him. Didn't take Deshaun Watson. Took Mitch Trubisky. Uh, did get us to the playoffs in his second season. Didn't get us a win. But Pat Mahomes, Super Bowl champ, half a billion dollars. Uh, Chiefs are looking good. Bears might be rethinking that draft. Yes, Greg, but think about how much money the Bears have saved by not, uh, <laughs> by not signing Mahomes, you know, and they don't have to spend money on the trophy cases for the Vince Lombardi trophy. You know, there's all kinds of uh, upsides to that. No, by the way, I forgot. This just came over ESPN right as we started taping. Apparently, the Mahomes contract includes giving him the naming rights. I don't mean to Arrowhead Stadium. I mean to the city of Kansas City. <laughs> he will have the opportunity to either rename it Mahomes City or anything else he likes in the near future. That's how much they love him after winning a Super Bowl their first title first time they've been back in the big game and in 50 years so uh good for them i guess uh man <laughs> yes it's, it's like the packers when they took tony mandrich and they could have had barry sanders Derek thomas or Deion sanders but uh, hey you know uh you know, every, everybody makes Mahomes mistakes. also could have been drafted by the jets and we did not pick him because we were so content with christian hackenberg <laughs> who never played an nfl game uh however we did draft uh, jamal adams and he's been pretty good and he looks good in green and white. Hope he stays there. Yeah, he's a little uh, unhappy, as I've read of late. Disgruntled right. employee, as they used to call it in the Postal Service. <laughs> yes. All right, let's get on to our bad martini, which was also the lead item in the morning jolt today, Jim. And that's what we talked about in passing yesterday when we we're talking about the bubonic plague appearing in China. Uh, Dr. Fauci talking about how the coronavirus is actually more contagious now. The good news is, is that it's not more deadly. And I think I've even seen some reports that suggest that as it's mutated, it's actually gotten slightly less deadly, but I don't know if we've seen confirmation of that. But what you focus on today is the data on the fact that this is more contagious. And it's not just more contagious, it's up to 10 times more contagious. And not only that, uh, there's speculation, uh, perhaps more than speculation, that it actually hangs in the air in indoor places and I guess elsewhere. So uh, the idea that we're out of the woods here not the case. And of course, as schools try to figure out what they're doing and businesses and restaurants and so many other places trying to get back to normal, not good news at all. Yeah. So um, we'll take, you know, in order first regarding the, uh, you know, possibility of it lingering in the air for a long period of time. Uh, my friend uh, Lizzie, uh, a star chambermaid on Twitter, asked me, wait, you know, how does it, how can it be in the air for hours? Doesn't eventually gravity would kick in and bring it to the ground? And that's a good and fair question. I looked it up, the droplet or aerosol measurement of a, a droplet of mucus or, or anything else that has the coronavirus can be in the neighborhood of 
five to 20 micrometers, um, which for people who don't want to get out their tape measures, because that's, you know, it's not, it's too, your tape measure is too big to measure it. Basically, it's way less than the diameter of a human hair. That's really small. Because it's really small, it's really, it's really light, and that means it could probably float on any air current, say air conditioning inside a building for quite a while. Um, you figure if you're outside, there's enough wind, there's probably enough motion in the air that's less likely to end up with you. If you're in a closed environment, you're more likely to get it. So this is not a full scientific consensus here, but there are more scientists who are pointing in that direction saying, hey, you know, being indoors might be more dangerous than we expect. Uh, as I noted in today's Morning Jolt, Greg, with this news and this sort of thing people have been speculating since the beginning of this pandemic, uh, Chicago has closed the pools and beaches, South Car uh, Southern California has closed most of the beaches, and uh, in Atlanta they shut down Centennial Park. So all these wise, smart mayors are saying we're keeping everyone indoors for as long as possible so that no one gets sick from the pandemic. Great job, everybody. Um, on the issue of greater transmittability and contagiousness, yeah, I'm hoping this is not as deadly, um, that it's, not, it's getting less deadly as, it, as time goes by. I think the jury is still out on that one. I do think it being more contagious is something we need to worry about. <coughs> In part, no, that was not an ironic cough, by the way. I feel fine. Um, you know, look, is, are the death rates down on each new day? Yes, that's good to see. Uh, July 3rd, it was at 626. The most recent day we have numbers for July 6th is 378. Hey, I'll take that over a thousand people dying a day or 2,000 people dying a day any day of the week. The problem is, is that the increase in cases is going on. We're, you know, 58,000, uh, almost 59,000 on July 3rd. Um, July 6th, the most recent numbers are 50,000. Some number of those tens of thousands are probably going to be elderly. Some number of that amount is probably going to have some sort of uh, comorbidity, as they said, or could have, you know, diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, you know, compromised in some way, you know, some people are going to get this and they're not going to have an easy time with it. And the other thing is that even if this virus doesn't kill you, look, it's a new virus. We're still seeing there are people who get this and the good news is they don't die, but they still have uh, lingering health issues, diminished lung capacity, headaches, dizziness, um, you know, some people get hit by this and it's not that bad. They, they're either asymptomatic, they don't even know that they have it, or it passes and it feels like a minor cold. And then some people um, who you'd think would be healthy and hale and hearty get hit really hard by this. My word to everybody else out there is if you don't have this, you'd really rather not get it. You might be among the folks who would uh, end up, uh, uh, you know, getting this, uh, uh, you know, and, and be fine, or your body might take it really hard. You don't know until you have it. And you probably don't want to gamble the wrong way on this. Um, now, if that, if that test that indicated it was 10 times more contagious than it was when it initially occurred in China, there are a couple of big ramifications from that. One being, uh, early on, we'd heard that the you know, Chinese said that basically by early March, they had it beaten. And there were almost only a handful of cases a day in a country with a billion people. And a bunch of people like myself said, ah, those numbers don't add up. This doesn't sound realistic. This is nonsense. We still have all the same reasons to doubt the, the veracity and honesty of the Chinese government, but if the version of the virus that they were dealing with at the end of 2019 and in the opening months of 2020 uh, was 10 times less contagious than it is now, well, all of a sudden, things start making a lot more sense. Okay, maybe they would have an easier time getting it contained, and that might explain what we're seeing in California and Arizona and a bunch of the southern states and Nevada and Oregon and places like that. If it's gotten a lot more, the metaphor I use that a lot of people seem to enjoy, Greg, is that 
China was trying to tackle your typical running back in the NFL. And right now, the United States is trying to stop Bo Jackson back in the Tecmo Bowl video game, where basically you <laughs> could not tackle him at all. And he just kept on going and going. Wow. So, Jim, I hear you've gotten a lot of good positive feedback from your uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Look, I, you know, I don't want to give folks bad news. I know we all want to believe that this thing is over and everything's going to be fine and this virus is going to go. Guys, it's, it's not. It's, you know, like, it, it, yes, it's good. It, look, are young people more likely to pull through this thing okay? Yes. Does this mean you should be out having a party and, and all that stuff? No. I do think that story of the Alabama teens probably was a uh, urban legend. I'm, I'm a little skeptical of that. But uh, look, you know, I'm telling you, you don't want to get this if you can help it. Now, maybe it's going to float around until the point where everybody gets it. And, and we've got to wait until herd immunity happens. And that, you know, that, look, we're going to lose a bunch of people if that's the approach that's required here. You know, so at this point, it's come on, vaccine. Keep going, guys, because, uh, you know, at this point, the idea, we had this idea that, oh, things would be easier in summer. It wouldn't be so bad. Well, death toll is down, but you're still having a heck of a lot of cases. And a bunch of those hospital administrators are sweating right now. And if they're sweating, you probably should be sweating as well. And not just because it's hot. Operation Warp Speed. We'll see if it is. But uh, okay, so you, you, you learned that, that uh, could be hanging in the air a little bit longer than people thought, and uh, it's more contagious. The last place you want to be is standing in line. And let's be honest, you never like standing in line to begin with. But uh, when people are around you, you could possibly infect you, you really don't want to. And that includes the post office. So for all of our sakes, we need to avoid crowds there or anywhere else that we can right now. But what if you need the things that you get at the post office? What if you need postage to send out letters and packages? Well, don't worry because stamps.com is here to help because with stamps.com, you can print postage on demand and skip those lines and crowds at the post office. Plus, you can actually save some money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. If that wasn't enough, stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts up to 62% and no UPS residential surcharges. Listeners, remember everything I said about not wanting to be indoors for long periods of time? Standing on line at the post office is exactly what I'm talking about. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer in the safety and comfort of your own home, office, or anywhere else you happen to be hunkering down right now. Whether you're a small business sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or you're just working from home and need to mail stuff, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. You simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just leave it for your mail carrier, schedule a free package pickup, or drop it in your mailbox. No human contact required. It's just that simple. And like I said, with Stamps.com, you get great discounts. Five cents off of every first class stamp and up to 62% off of shipping rates. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, especially now, saving you time and money and keeping you safe in these crazy times. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in three martini, just all one word, three martini. That's stamps.com, enter three martini. Stay safe, my friends. All right, Jim, let's move on to our first crazy martini now, Jim. And there's obviously plenty of bad here as well. I think we've talked about this in the past and certainly conservatives over the past several months have talked about AB5. That was a bill in 2019 out in California, signed, of course, by Governor Gavin Newsom. 
which essentially regulated freelance workers as full-time employees. And of course, the result of that ended up being lost income and fewer job opportunities because if you're a full-time employee, you know, you got to offer benefits and so forth or, or offer more pay than the person's actually providing from a freelance perspective. And so uh, businesses, whether it's uh, journalists, which we could certainly identify with and, and others uh, from the gig economy saying, you know what, uh, this isn't worth it to the bottom line. So we're just going to have to let you go. But is the lesson learned? No. Uh, they want to do this, the Democrats do, at the national level. On May 26th, Joe Biden, the presumptive Democratic nominee, stated his support for Assembly Bill 5 and his opposition to a proposed ballot measure, which is coming, backed by Uber and Lyft that would partially repeal it. In addition to supporting AB5, the vice president has come out in favor of a measure on the November ballot that would raise taxes by an estimated $12 billion annually, doing so by eliminating Proposition 13's property tax cap for commercial property. So that's the situation in California. But on the national level, it's basically a major way of forcing people into unionization. It's a major hit at right to work laws. Biden's for it. And if the Democrats get control of everything, uh, this could be a huge impact on the economy and on the freedom of workers, Jim. This California law was a really bad idea before the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic hit. And one of the things I've been thinking about as this uh, pandemic has continued, and we've seen just the, the absolute uh, crotch kick to this economy that we've suffered over the past year, I wondered how much, you, you enact a new rule that basically says, we're going to cap the amount of money you can make from freelancing. We can cap the amount of money you can make from the gig economy. Um, the objective, of course, I'm sure they, you know, these lawmakers in California, being so wise and astute and familiar with the business world as they are, thought that, oh, well, this is just make them hire people and give them benefits and we won't have to deal with all the frustrations of the gig economy. No, no, they just stopped doing them. I also believe it effectively, at least, you know, before the pandemic shut down all theater companies, uh, this was basically going to shut down the entire live theater world because that's entirely gigs. That's entire temporary employments. You don't see a lot of full-time, full benefits employees in the arts world. And you can argue about whether that's fair or not fair, but that's just the way that, you know, the economy of that particular industry has evolved in response to tight margins and limited amounts of uh, limited profit margins and things like that. That's, that's just the economic reality of when you want to make money based on something that, you know, people are, uh, it's not manufacturing widgets in a factory somewhere. It's in getting people to buy tickets to come see your show. Everybody was, was howling about this out in the Golden State. Then the pandemic kicked in, and my sneaking suspicion is that a lot of advocates of this law are going to try to use the pandemic as a cover for all the economic damage that this dumb law had instituted. Now, of course, this is you know, it's the biggest no-brainer issue you could possibly come along. What better way for you know Joe Biden gets it, and of course, he signs on completely. Yes, it's hunky-dory. Now, the only upside to this, Greg, is that we won't know what Joe Biden's actual position is until his staffers tell him what it really is. No, that's basically right. I mean, first of all, the guy walked into the, the campaign, uh, considered to be in the mainstream of the Democratic Party, thought he was, you know, the heir of the Obama legacy, painted as not nearly far left enough. And considering where we've come even since the primary season, he's hopelessly not far left enough. So his basic reaction, or at least his handler's reaction, is for him to basically sign on to everything that the far left wants to do, with very few exceptions. I think he said he wasn't in favor of tearing down statues of Columbus, but uh, do you really think he's going to hold firm on that when everything else he's rolled over on? Yeah. I, I mean, the irony is at this point, we really have no idea what a Joe Biden presidency is going to be like. We have our suspicions. Um, but right now, pretty much since the pandemic occurred and since 
uh, you know, Trump has made some, let's just say since probably about the, uh, the White House briefings when Trump started fighting with uh, uh, the reporters and you started to see that initial rally around the flag effect and the president's numbers start to sink. Look, we all know what the Biden campaign is doing. They're, they're lining up in victory formation. They're utterly convinced this game is over, that uh, they don't need to do anything, that the election is going to be a referendum on the president, and that the, if they can minimize his profile, if they can simply make him a blank slate for everybody who is frustrated with President Trump, he's going to win the election. And like, you know, by, by sheer politics, that's probably the smart move. However, the rest of the Democratic Party isn't doing this, you know, uh, playing possum maneuver and, and trying to have his low point. There's a huge chunk of the Democratic Party that is louder than ever, angrier than, be- than ever, and probably more radical than ever, and wants to make giant sweeping changes. Which, by the way, I don't think everybody who's frustrated with President Trump wants to make sweeping changes on scale with Bernie Sanders and the Green New Deal and all that kind of stuff. In fact, if they had, Bernie Sanders would have won the Democratic primary. You can make an argument that not even the Democrats necessarily want this radical leftist agenda. But Joe Biden, you know, for years described as a centrist, and I kept saying that's not quite accurate. He's at the center of wherever the Democratic Party is. So if the Democratic Party is shifting quickly to the left, Joe Biden will quick shiftly to the left. And we've seen that on a bunch of issues during the course of this presidential campaign. I don't think a President Biden, you know, he's not going to sign on board with everything that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants to do, but he's not going to make his, build his career and build his presidency on opposing her. He's going to offer her half a loaf and then another half a loaf and then another half a loaf. You know, you are not going to get anything resembling centrist governance out of Joe Biden. I get why people are frustrated with Trump. People have heard me criticize him plenty of times in this podcast, but do not have any, any illusions that uh, Joe Biden would be this sensible uh, Bill Clinton-esque moderate Democrat course. Um, it could even be arguably to the left of Barack Obama, not because Biden is necessarily to the left of Barack Obama, but because Biden really doesn't have much stature to uh, actually stand up to the left wing of his party. He wants to be ameliatory and, and easygoing with them and to, to build consensus with them. And, uh, you know, also he doesn't have the stature of an Obama to tell them no and for them to walk away, you know, accepting that's the final word. They're going to keep pushing him and pushing him. I am sure they're going to see uh, Joe Biden's presidency as the opportunity they've wanted for a really long time to enact big sweeping changes. And uh, there's a lot of good reasons for Republicans and independents and probably even moderate Democrats to feel very nervous about that. Jim, quick follow up on this. Uh, We didn't prep about this particular topic, but did you see the uh, op-ed in The Hill from former New Hampshire Senator Judd Gregg, who's not exactly a, a, you know, fire-breathing conspiracy theorist? He was basically saying that Joe Biden, if elected, would effectively be canceled, that he's going to be forced to pick a far-left running mate, and then when Joe Biden's instincts aren't immediately to cater completely to the far-left, that they're going to invoke the 25th Amendment. I know that starts to sound a lot like season two of 24 and uh, <laughs> what everybody thought was going to happen with Trump. And so everybody's, you know, taking 2020 to the max at this point. But, you know, Judd Gregg's a pretty sensible guy. And he's basically thinking that the left's going to use Joe Biden as long as they get some use out of him. And when they don't have any more use for him, even if he's still in office, they're going to kick him out. You know, Greg, first of all, when you begin any segment by saying we haven't prepped for this, I can almost hear all the <laughs> listeners saying, Really? You guys prep for this? <laughs> Doesn't always show. The second thought is, boy, that scenario does seem pretty... Like, there's like, the only, look, Greg, the only way that would happen is that if once inaugurated, Joe Biden said or do something to make people think he was losing his mind. <laughs> what are the odds of that, right? Very high. Very high indeed. But, uh, but we will see. 
All right, Jim, we still have one more crazy martini. But before that, let's talk about NetSuite by Oracle, because we just talked about the gig economy being in shambles if the Democrats get their way here. And of course, for everyone's business, you need to be running on as many cylinders as you can right now and looking forward to future growth. And that's where NetSuite by Oracle comes in. America's ready to get back to work, but to win in this new economy, you've got to have every advantage that you can possibly have to succeed. Smart companies run on NetSuite by Oracle. It's the world's number one cloud business system. With NetSuite, you'll have visibility and control over your financials, human resources, inventory, e-commerce, and more, everything you need, all in one place. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in sales, NetSuite lets you manage every penny with precision. You'll have the agility to compete with anyone, work from anywhere, and run your whole company right from your phone. You can join more than 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to make it happen. NetSuite surveyed hundreds of business leaders and assembled a playbook of the top strategies that they're using as America reopens for business. Right. So receive your free guide, Seven Actions Businesses Need to Take Now, and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash martini. Get your free guide and schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash martini. One more time, netsuite.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's go to our final crazy martini today. And of course, over the weekend, the president had a series of impressive patriotic events. There was the Friday night event at Mount Rushmore, and I thought it was a, a pretty darn good speech. I think everybody should have been impressed by the flyover from World War II aircraft all the way up to the present day on July 4th itself, Saturday evening. Uh, so the president was riding high. A lot of people thinking the media and the Democrats were way overreacting. You had a lot of folks on the left saying, oh my goodness, Mount Rushmore is this paragon of white supremacy. It's got a couple of dead slave owners up there, as if Washington and Jefferson didn't accomplish anything else in their lives. And, you know, uh, it's just traitors, uh, white traitors. That was uh, what Tammy Duckworth was talking about. The president could have stayed there with the high ground, talked about his garden of heroes, which didn't include any Confederates. And, but of course he can't. Here's what he tweeted out on Monday. Has Bubba Wallace apologized to all those great NASCAR drivers and officials who came to his aid, stood by his side, and were willing to sacrifice everything for him, only to find out that the whole thing was just another hoax, all caps. That and flag decision has caused lowest ratings ever, all caps. So you're talking about the NASCAR decision to ban the Confederate flag. So, Jim, this story was pretty much dead and buried. We talked about it uh, after the FBI completed its investigation, so Trump... Really could have easily let it lie, but of course he can't do that. Uh, NASCAR has now responded, first of all, talking about how they stand beside Bubba Wallace. Uh, they don't see it as a hoax. Uh, they also point out that the ratings are actually higher than they were a year ago at this time. And, and Fox Sports, which uh, hosts NASCAR, is very happy with the numbers that they're getting. And so talk about, I don't know if it's two steps forward, one step back, two forward, three back, but... Uh, when the president has some momentum at his back, he goes and steps in it again. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, people, there are times I'll interact with folks who are a little uh, warmer and fuzzier towards President Trump than I am. And they'll contend, why, why are you so skeptical that the Trump's going to be able to pull this out? Don't you remember the polls were wrong in 2016? Well, polls weren't that wrong. You know, he'll, they say, you know, particularly the national ones. But what's more is that Trump can't put two good days together. He, he you know, every day he manages to uh, shoot himself in the foot. Uh, he did have a pretty good weekend. And then, you know, this this entire Bubba Wallace story controversy had been, you know, uh, gone for, for two weeks. 
And Trump brings it up and he seems to uh, believe that Bubba Wallace is, is at blame here and that this was a hoax and that Bubba Wallace is up to, is up to no good. And that's not uh, what, what came, you know, Wallace, it was a member of Wallace's team, spotted it, reported it. Wallace reported it to NASCAR. NASCAR made all the decisions. You want to criticize anybody, NASCAR, criticize the leadership of NASCAR. But Trump just decided to, to rip into the guy. And look, a, a white president who's had his share of racial controversies, trashing the lone black driver in the NASCAR Cup Series doesn't look good. Um, and, you know, the idea that, you know, everybody who's been involved with this said, look, no, Wallace just acted responsibly. He reported it. He didn't try to turn this into, uh, you know, it's not that he put it up himself or something like that. This is, you know. Um, and the other thing is that Trump decided to make this full-throated defense of, uh, the, the Confederate flag at NASCAR events. Now, we've been having this ongoing discussion about should you take down Confederate statues? What's the appropriate way to remember the, the, the Confederacy? Greg, it's really tough to argue that flying the Confederate flag at a NASCAR event signifies some sort of historical appreciation. It's not a monument. It's not a memorial. It's not a, a you know, display. There's a, you know, they're not learning. It is, it is basically some sort of signal. NASCAR, look, do you think NASCAR doesn't know its fan base? Do you think NASCAR doesn't understand who goes to the show? Do you think NASCAR would have done something and deliberately poked uh, its audience in the eyes without taking some measure of people's uh, views on this? If, this? if they really thought this was going to destroy their sport, they never would have done it. And the question is, you know, so trust NASCAR to make its own decisions. Maybe it's a mistake. I'm rather skeptical that it's going to be a mistake. But then, interesting, you know, Trump says lowest ratings ever. Well, actually, it was um, one of the much higher ones they've had. Now, here's the thing. Nothing else is on these days. No other sports are going on. So that may be a factor in NASCAR enjoying the highest ratings ever. But, you know, once again, Trump doesn't know what he's talking about regarding ratings and stuff like that. But just, you know, it is the beginning of July, Greg, and we have a Republican incumbent president who's getting into a fight with NASCAR, <laughs> right? Like, you know, this, these are supposed to be the most, you know, the, the base of the base, right? These are supposed to be the guys who are most, and Trump is just, you know, just like, like Godzilla thundering through and smashing things. So oblivious to the fact, like the more he's trashing NASCAR, he's not trashing Biden. He's not trashing, he's, this has nothing to do with policy. I'm not even sure I want the president of the United States weighing in on like this is what you know Donnie from Queens on the car phone calling it to WFAN sports talk radio should be you know weighing in or something like that. So um, this gives a the image of a president and a campaign that's just kind of flailing around looking for themes, looking for messages. Um, and again, will this cost Trump a lot of votes amongst you know NASCAR fans? Probably not. But um, in terms of messaging, in terms of what it says about what he's going to do as a second term. He just goes further and further afield, and I'm guessing you can almost see Trump's handlers in the background tearing their hair out as he picks these random fights instead of persuading Americans that he deserves four years because he will improve the country. Uh, but instead, no, no, he's, he's going after Bubba Wallace because, you know, he's the problem in this country. Jim, it's a crazy year. We've still got four months left till Election Day and eight months left till Inauguration Day. Uh, yeah, it'd be nice to see a, a second term agenda with a little more detail um, and not just uh, what's wrong with the left. There's plenty wrong with the left and there's plenty of time to talk about that. And It's a good idea to do that because it might be his best uh, argument for being reelected since they've completely gone off the deep end. But uh, a little more focus on the, the current crises and uh, a little more clarity on what's to come if he's reelected would be good. So anyway, we've had four crazies already this week. And we're still going. <laughs> we still got three days left. Jim, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg.
Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks very much for listening today. Don't forget about our great sponsors, stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in three martini. Get lots of savings there. Also, NetSuite by Oracle. Get your free guide, seven actions businesses need to take now and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a kind review, get us on those home devices and join us on Wednesday for the next three martini lunch.